Hello, everyone. Welcome along to another special edition of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. I'm Kev. I've got James alongside me, and we're joined by a very special guest uh, on this episode. We have former town footballer Lars Elstrup with us. Lars, thanks for giving us some of your time. Uh, you're back in Luton for the first time since you left as a player. What brings you to Luton? Uh, yes, that is right. First time back in Luton. And second time, I've been once in London some years ago. Um, and since I left in 91, I haven't been back uh, besides those two times. And it's very exciting being back. I was in Odense um, on, that was last Monday. And I was thinking, well, I need to get out of town. So I thought of visiting my birthplace, Randers in Jutland. Or should I go to Copenhagen? Then I also found out that my guru, my spiritual master, had a temple in Brentford. So the main reason was to go and see him and visit the temple. So I went to Brentford on uh, Wednesday. <clears throat> and the day after, I said, said to myself, I also want to go and see and meet Luton again. So I arrived in Luton on, uh, on Thursday, two days ago. And you immediately met the chief executive, Gary Sweet, who welcomed you. Well, the day after, that was Friday, I first rang uh, the club and I got to speak with uh, Lisa. And um, she had a smile on her face and she could hear what I was saying and she it was able to talk to her. Unlike when I tried to watch uh, Brentford's training and spoke to a receptionist there, there was so much noise in the background, I couldn't hear her, I couldn't communicate with her, um, and she actually hung up on me. Um, so, it was a kind of, um, what? how can I tell it? I opener or something and it gave me a warm feeling about my old club. Um, the first person I meet was the receptionist. And so it was the same thing in my time when I met the receptionist at Luton. She was also a big smile and had time for me. And as I, as I can see, she also had time for other people coming. Um this means to me now this is a warm warm club. Absolutely. Um so you met Gary, the chief executive, who's invited you to um Monday's game against Middlesbrough, which we're absolutely delighted that you're you're gonna be at. And you got a tour of the stadium and everything. Did it bring back those memories of when you first arrived? Of course it it does. It brings back a lot of memories just coming into town, walking down the street at the bottom of Kenilworth Road which I could not remember um, with all the different uh, nationalities, uh, religions, and just hanging out there, having a coffee. And walking around the stadium, I did uh, before nine o'clock yesterday, seeing the small passage, taking a picture at uh, the oak stand, going to the, uh, the shop, and seeing the delivery guy meeting a 61-year-old delivery guy, Alec, and we're and I'm 60 now, and talking old memories, and seeing that was from where we took the bus, the minibus, to the training ground when we trained away. And at nine o'clock, the doors to the office goes open, and I come in and meet the staff and uh, groundsmen beforehand, and everybody in the office and. Gary also came to see me. He actually was in a meeting with four guys about plans with a new stadium, but he left the meeting and came and spent time with me uh, 15, 20 minutes. And as he said, uh, I was his number one player when I was at Luton. And I uh, put my hand out to shake his hand but that was not enough so we hocked <laughs> 
he's uh he's he's a nice guy um gary and yeah like i say it's it's great that he's invited you to the game on monday we're really pleased that you're going to get to see the current luton town play but you mentioned there about talking about memories of of your time that's exactly what i'd like to do for a little while if i can and you joined the club in the sort of late 80s um from Adensa, you were our record signing at the time. Two players have since come along, and we've paid more for that. But did that bring a bit of pressure to knowing that you was our record signing? It does, and it also depends on the man- mentality of the player, how much aware you are of this business situation. Um, and as a striker, there might be a little bit more pressure on you, as you are expected to score goals and deliver. And when you got a price tag on your head, it will, if you're not fully understandable of the situation you're in, which most players might not be, give some kind of pressure. And I surely felt, felt that pressure when, um, from the beginning. Did that impact your performance? No, I don't think it. It had an impact on my performance as when I go on the pitch, I want to give all that, that I can do, bring the best out of me. Um, the thing is, it also takes time to adapt to a new place, a new culture, um, a new country, a new way of playing football. And that was a bit hard for me. Even though I was, I am good at adapting when I have changed clubs and changing playing styles. It took me 10 games before I scored my first goal uh, at Millwall, at the Den. Um, And that was some kind of relief. So the pressure will build up if goals stay away. That is, uh, that is hard to avoid. So when you arrived at Luton, did you know much about the club? Not really. Not really. Um, How did it go? I didn't know much about the club. I knew they won the Littlewoods Cup the year before in 1988. And I came in August uh, 89. And then I was thinking, if you win a trophy, there must be something good in the club. And uh, we were kind of at that sort of stage where a lot of the players that won the Little Woods Cup in 1988 were leaving. Ricky Hill had left. I think Brian Steen left and you replaced Brian Steen. Mm -hmm. Mick Harford was about to leave and a few others that kind of left. And the season became a battle against relegation, didn't it? A battle battle to stay up. And and we kind of went all the way through that season. And I know from being a supporter of that generation that uh, anyone who supported Luton at the time, the last game of that season away to Derby County at the baseball ground not their new ground the baseball ground mm. we had to win to stay up and we won 3-2 and Tim Breaker scored from absolutely miles yes. out and yeah. and things like that it's, 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 a, it's a game Kingsley that Black too, I Kingsley think. Black got both the other ones um, yeah absolutely it's a game that sort of sticks in the memory of all of us that yes. were there that day yes. and I guess being involved in the squad at that time it would be kind of similar for all the players as well yes you can feel that it's about not going down. You want to stay in the good company or in the best league. And when you are in danger of relegating, survival becomes the main target. And we re- reach that. And you can feel the joy of the fans and also amongst ourselves of uh, staying up. And it is surely felt by every player. I mean, there was uh, at the time it was sort of terracing still um, at football grounds, and there were thousands and thousands of Luton fans behind the goal that um, Kingsley Black scored the winner in, and the 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 noise and the jubilation was just yes unheard of. It was it was yes. a fantastic afternoon, and uh, sitting here now, I just thank you for those memories. It's it was literally <laughs> it's I mean, what are we thirty three years on? It's still yeah. still one of the greatest memories that I yes. have as a Luton fan. But actually, I think when I think of you as a player Lars I think of the following season um, you scored a hat trick at Norwich which was a brilliant hat trick uh, I think it was a perfect hat trick if I'm right you scored one with your left foot one with your right foot and a header yes and um I always remember that, and the and the other thing that I remember um, about that season again, we ended up playing Derby to stay up in the in the league, and you scored the second goal that afternoon. The 
that match is probably remembered for the first goal that afternoon where your former teammate Mick Harford scored a uh, an own goal that, that got us the uh-huh. lead and and again the atmospheres in those times were just fantastic yes what I remember about the Nord- Nords game and my hat-trick was that we days before went to a leisure centre to relax play table tennis play tennis play snooker not concentrate and focus on football and that suited me quite good getting to know other players also in a relaxed way so that on that Saturday we played Norwich or whichever day it was I was relaxed and I think in those days Luton was supposed to get two wins away during the season and this was the second second win we got away in all that season and that is a, a good memory for me um, about Mick's goal um, <laughs> then I remember I was looking around and there was a, some kind of surprisement amongst fans and players and thinking is this real is it happening and Mick you know his history much better than I did at that time and also now of course um, being a, him being a Luton man and we talked about whether it was deliberate or not and at that time it was not then years after then it was a deliberate goal and that just shows the heart of Mick And I scored the second goal um, after a Kingsley Black assist. And I felt that thing you talked about at, at the 3-2 derby game, you always remember. I remember that there was the last game also at home and making it uh, and staying in the division. It was a great feeling. Every, all the fans came onto the pitch And I remember that uh, some of the other players looked for the dressing room. So I hurried after those ones so to get some rest and not uh, being stripped off all of my clothes. <laughs> and it was a very good memory. Indeed. Uh, the other thing that I remember that season, there always used to be a saying around that time that you could never beat Des Walker. It's, it's a famous saying Who in English that? football. Who said that? There's, a, there's an awful lot... Nottingham Forest fans sing it regularly. It's kind of... Uh, it was like... A, a thing because you know it, it, hardly anyone did however there was a Danish player in a Luton shirt that yeah. absolutely sprinted past him it's, uh, I'm sure it's a memory that you'll remember as well I didn't know him that he should be a fast player well this Walker was a world class defender and considered one of the best in the world and he was playing alongside Stuart Pierce, the left back psycho and I got a pass from Steve Williams and I've seen it on YouTube and my remembrance when I before I saw it on YouTube was that the pass was from deep on our own half and it was a long pass so I had to run very long distance but I've seen it uh, on YouTube and it's about 10 meters on our own half that he makes the pass and it's a perfect pass so I outrun this walker there was another defender and I kept the ball and kept him off, triggered. Uh, he saw he had to make a, a tackle, otherwise I could make a clean shot. So I saw that and took another dribble. And then the two defenders fell over each other and I placed the ball and it got under the goalkeeper. He had a touch on it and went into the goal. So I was in that situation faster than this walker. They stay. They, I mean, they, for for years and years and years, and the Knotts Forest fans were like so proud that no one beat Des Walker. And I'm always well, like with my with yeah. my friends. I know someone who beat Des Walker. Right. I, <laughs> I, I saw it happen, and like you say, it's, it's on YouTube and everything. It's definitely uh, right. there. It's uh, right. It was it was just another fantastic memory. Um, you left Luton after that second um, game against Derby that season, the 1991 season. Uh, the club fell into financial problems, and um, you left. But how would you f- reflect on the two years playing that you had at, at Kenworth Road? Well, the first year was difficult. I didn't score so many goals as 
I shoot or was expected and I was, I was about to leave the club actually I went to Brest in France um, went on and didn't turn out to be anything so I went back to Denmark on holiday um, there I did some training with uh, Pierre Peterson uh, who Blackburn signed later on for 26 million Danish kroner um, and we enjoyed our time together um, I had played with him beforehand and we couldn't wait to get down to the ground just to kick a ball to each other uh, for fun and he was recovering from a knee injury um, and I was we were just playing and playing kits so when I got back to Luton I was in a bit better shape than the rest of the players and in Odense I also said to myself fuck it all Lars give it a shot now um, and came back to Luton with a more relaxed attitude and a determina determination in a different way to do my best so I got in, into a good shape good condition and was more relaxed and this is things that I need to perform on the pitch instead of the opposite, being scared and in a cramp or uh, you can't perform uh, freely. So I was in that kind of state when I came back and I did hard training. Um, once we were at a running track, run, uh, doing runs 100 meters, 200 meters and 400 meters, and I said to myself, the other guys I was running with, I want to beat them. I want to win this race. Yindawi was in the race and uh, I never won a race like this before. So anybody who's run 400 meters knows how hard it is and how uh, legs can stiffen and you can totally collapse. So you have to time your run, uh, know the distance, time when you have to do the last sprint, um, and I timed it perfectly and I won the race and when Ian Dowie passed me he said fucking hell Lars <laughs> and he was impressed <laughs> and I was a bit, a bit impressed by myself also and next after that I went to the commercial boards and I had to puke that much <laughs> I've gone over my limits to win this game so we went, also went to Scotland on a training camp with Jim Ryan and John Faulkner and did some different surroundings, different landscape, relaxed. I was more relaxed and I did things at training that uh, I normally do, didn't do. Um, cross coming from left, took it with my bad right foot, placed it perfectly and outmaneuvered uh, Darren McDonough, Dasmo, and I placed it in the top right corner without chance of Alec uh, Chamberlain to reach it. And Dasmo said, well done, Lars. And this even now gives me the thrill of those days having the support of my teammates and this was pre-season. That was the kind of foundation for my season. And then the goals will come if you keep believing in yourself. Um, not chasing them, but playing your role and fitting into the team. Everybody will work for each other so you can make it happen and you will get what you deserve out of what you put into the game. You mentioned Ian Dowie there. He was kind of the, uh, I suppose you'd call it number nine in today's sort of uh -oh. world, and you was kind of more on the left-hand side I in that second seven. season, wasn't yes, you? Yeah. Was... Did that help as well? Yes, it, uh, it did. I was brought up as a left winger in youth football and also with Randers Fryer playing as an amateur for four seasons. I was more a left winger and I was bought for Luton as replacement for the one McDonough, good with the head. And I thought, wow, I'm not good at this. Mm -hmm. But I developed those skills also a bit. 
And it is a bit of relievement playing on the winger instead of being the target man, the front man, which is the most important man in any team. You need someone that is strong up there, a playing station, either um, with the f- both feet and head to keep pressure off and be able to play attacking football. You're going to see on Monday night that we have a very similar player to that in Carlton Morris up front. I think you'd have loved playing alongside him. He can either get the ball on his chest, he can get the ball into feet, he holds defenders off, he's physical, yes. he's big. He that doesn't was mind. Yandawi for me in those days. Yeah. I learned to read him, trust him, he will win it and we may had a good partnership. Yeah, I think the, the two of you uh, would be oh. absolutely fantastic yes. as well. I mean, it's great to sort of recollect and, and I'm, I'm so pleased that you've got so many great memories about your time at Luton because I certainly have brilliant memories I mean you know I was just a child at the time but how old were you I was nine in 1991 when you had that 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 great season so it's, it's those kind of it was that team that got me into Luton you know I mean my dad took me but you know you, the players on the pitch are the yeah, ones we, that we get our heroes at a certain age yeah. when we were kids and you know I have to say you who know, was just, your favourite player at that time well I mean I just missed Brian Steen and Ricky Hill who were my dad's favourite players yeah. so then there was yourself I always liked midfielders so Steve Williams his eye for a pass was always yes. really good but I was a left footer as well so Kingsley Black was yes. always my favourite yes. player that's what I said as well, yeah, Kingsley. Uh, yeah. yeah. And also him, him from Luton it, as well. So maybe yeah. him and uh, David Priest were the top Yeah, top David Priest as well, oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, Kingsley came through our youth system yes. and uh, his first season was the season that we won the Littlewoods Cup. So as fans, we all sort of had a bit of, of a extra affinity with him, as, as, as you'd know. It wasn't just in a Luton shirt that you... Uh, Excelled. You actually did so for your country, and you actually played uh, Euro '92. And and I was really, I'm really interested. That's the first international tournament that I really understood. And obviously, mm-hmm. from an England point of view, didn't go too well. It was the end of Gary Lineker, and that, that's what it's all remembered for. Uh-huh. Um, but the crazy thing was that. Denmark weren't meant to be in that tournament. They only got in at the last minute. Yes. And when you got into that tournament, was there a kind of, well, this is our chance now. We've nothing to lose. Let's go and win it kind of mentality. We came second in the qualifying group after Yugoslavia. And there was a civil war in Yugoslavia and they were excluded by UEFA. So all the players actually went on holiday. Uh, thinking we are not going to the Euros. And I was in a summer house near the seafront and I got a call from the national coach. Would you, would you like to come? And that was maybe two, three, four days before the tournament started. So I had to go to uh, my club and pick up my boots and go straight to training camp. And it was different from player situation to uh, to another player situation. There was, um, secondly, I think maybe I've been playing second uh, second league with Odense tournament, uh, whatever. But we were on holiday, and we were coming to this tournament as underdogs, not preparing well, not being in shape and form, and we were meeting in the group. First England, then home team Sweden, and last game France. France had Michel Platini as head coach. They had not lost 22 games, and they had uh, Eric Cantona up front, Jean-Pierre Papin, who was voted European Footballer of the Year one year, and they had Laurent Blanc, Didier Deschamps, both national national coach for France now and former, and world-class players. And the first game we drew a uh, nil-nil against England, and then we lost against Sweden one-nil. So we were in that position in the last group game against France that we had to win the game to go through to the semi-finals. Um, as I said, they hadn't lost twenty-two games, and there were no expectations for Denmark and our team. And that game I came on against France I came on uh, the pitch in the second half and 10 minutes after in the 78th minute I scored the winner uh, 2-1 Jean-Pierre Papin had equalized to 1-1 so we came uh, went ahead 1-0 
and we made it through that game and now we were in the semi-finals and that was the first party celebration days in Denmark small country with 6 million people maybe 5 million at that time and Everybody was celebrating. And as you said, you have your remembrance of that 3-2 derby win. So did Denmark now um, get football fever, got memories of this exact time, what is happening? This happened in the Euros three times when we drew 2-2 against Holland and went to penalty shootouts. And Peter Schmeichel saved the penalty kick from Van Basten. We went through to the final against West Germany, three times world champions, had big world-class players playing in big addresses all over Europe, and we beat them 2-0. That was a fairy tale uh, written better than an Hans Christian Andersen uh, fairy tale, and it was for real. We were in it, and all of Denmark celebrated. There were so many people on the street in the whole of the country, in all of Danish uh, history, except one time that was in 1945 when the Allied went through Denmark and liberated Denmark and Montgomery was in the tank. So these memories are sweet for us. We can see yeah, just how emotional yeah. emotional they are. I think that tournament, that was the first I'd ever heard of Peter Schmeichel. He hadn't gone to Man United at that time, had he? And yes, John yes. Jensen was just about to go to Arsenal. And yes. um, that, that team was, was quite incredible. But you know. Yeah, I mean, because it was such a surprise to even be there, what was what was the celebration like at the end when, when you won? For because them, yes. We did the day after we we went by aeroplane from Sweden to Copenhagen airport and was received by sirens from the fire arms, police with sirens, all staff, medical um, workers in the airport, and we could not believe it. In the air from Sweden, there were two um, F-16 fighters um, with pilots on locked on each wing and they were sitting with these special Danish hats on top of their heads where there are two hands and when you put the string they are clapping and we went to the, uh, the windows and we couldn't believe our own eyes also when we arrived in the airport we had to go to the mayor's hall in the c- central Copenhagen and it was supposed to take maybe 15 minutes bus ride it took one hour and a half and we were sitting on top of the bus, as we see, and people were handing up beers, and we had to jump off the bus, bus that had to keep going as when we had to go to the toilet, just into a bar, and then back on the bus, uh, up on the bal- balcony, and the whole square was crowded with people, and it was an amazing because I mean we dream of these sorts of things as England fans, and the closest we got. Well, rec- uh, recently, as uh, England were England, uh, England in yes. terms of the national Well, you team. have 1966. Well, we weren't alive then, so <laughs> we get told about it by our dads. But uh, um, yeah, we we lost in the Euro finals, uh, the last ones. But then before that, in that era, the only thing we had that came close was Italia 90, where we got to the semi final. Right. And when the team came back to Luton Airport, the whole of the town came out to welcome them. But yes. that, that was a we we came fourth in that tournament eventually. Yes, but so- you guys. You won the tournament. Yes, we made it all the way, um, which is the top. But when you do play good football, um, that the fans and spectators appreciate, you win their hearts. And I believe that is what your team in the, what's 1990? That when they are received, people can see good football when people, players give the best for their team, national team or club team. And of course, we all like to be number one. But there are 20 teams in the Premier League and you can't be number one um, 
all of them. There's only one that can win the trophy. So with the time, you can build and you can dream, which, and those dreams we should have of reaching the top. But it is more winning hearts of people in football and in life that matters. Um, and time will come when you do the right work with the right heart, you will receive back what you deserve. Can I ask about that final? Because obviously it must have been great to have won it. You, you were on the bench and, and didn't get on. What, what was that experience like for you? Were you disappointed not to get on? Uh, no, that's a special event for me. I thought I was good enough for the team. Uh, the first four games um, against England, Sweden, France and Holland. And uh, the Germany ga- game, I've gotten fear in my mind and I didn't want to play the game. This is just my own small story. And I was happy not to start uh, in the game. So I was sitting on the bench and watching. Yeah, yeah. Was this um, a, a sort of mental thing that you that you couldn't at the time That's a, That navigate? is a mental thing, yes. Yeah. Is that something that stuck with you around that sort of time? I mean, well, that's a big issue. Yeah. Uh, fear and, uh, and anxiety in one's own mind. And how to get beyond that and be free, find freedom, find liberation. This I looked for um, when I stopped my career as 30 years old in 1993. Uh, I could not smile anymore because I was filled with fear and could not find my way in life. And I wanted to get out of football. Um, in my contract periods or get out of being committed to other people. I wanted to be my own boss, which I could not find in that life I had. So for 30 years, I've been looking for this place in the mind where I am without anxiety and fear. And I found this place now. Oh, I'm very glad about that because yeah, that—that's the only thing that we heard. Um, I mean, we were nine and ten at the time, so we were oh. only interested in really the football. But so we've got reports of what happens when you left Luton, say, and they always talked about it was anxiety and you wanted to go yes, home. I got homesick. Like I wanted to go back to Denmark, yeah. uh, where I could feel more safe and secure and knew the surroundings. Um, that I wanted. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you, you say it was 30 years old, wasn't it, when you decided to leave football? Yeah, 28 when I left Luton and 30 when leaving football, yes. It's it's kind of an unusual situation, I I would say. Well, um, every player is different from the other. Every mindset is different and every body is different from the other. And... We all have our agendas and what we want from life. And how long your career will be is also individual. Some stop when they're 25 because of a heavy injury. Uh, maybe not free will, but each player has his own free will to play football as long as he will. Uh, and as long as he commits himself with his contract. Maybe not even that. But he can make his own choice of doing what he wants. And if you love playing football, play football and take care of your body and mind. Then enjoy your time. Anywhere, whether it's football, it's art or it's music or you're a worker, enjoy your time where you are. But always look after yourself. So I stopped when I was 30. Jan Heinze left back playing for PSV Eindhoven. He was very uh, aware of his own body, uh, eating healthy, taking his rest, doing stretching and yoga. So he prolonged his career till 37. Goalkeepers can prolong their career to uh, longer. Um, so when you stop, it's individual. Do you, um, was it, was there, um, anything with your body where you were feeling old or, or was oh, it? it was, I was torn, worn out. Yeah. Body was, uh, uh, damaged. Mind was damaged. So it was 
about time that I stopped my career. Do you think um, if there was probably more help at that time, because there's there's more now, I think we're probably still not 100% in the best place. But for instance, a couple of seasons ago, a Luton goalkeeper called Craig King decided just to stop playing professional football because it was affecting his uh, mental state. So he stopped and and everybody... uh, you know, was was great for his honesty and and appreciated what he said. But there there was help around the time, and the club yes. helped him, and he, he was thankful for that. But yes. in the eighties and early nineties, perhaps not. And do you think if there was more help, that would have made a difference? Maybe, maybe. But if you have to help another person, you will have to have greater understanding of how to approach that person that becomes insecure, depressive, closed, not so open. Um, and it was hard in those days uh, to find someone. It also depends on who I am personally, uh, how much I am able to receive help from others, which I couldn't. Um, so I felt kind of alone and not daring to open up to others because that would taking advice and doing stuff will make me more stressful so I didn't do that and I also re- could receive some help but the main thing I've learned the last 30 years is that I had to look elsewhere to find myself again where I could smile and find out the meaning of life. And this I found in my Indian guru that has a higher consciousness and knows stuff that can make me stop up from the busy world, the busy mind, which I am born into brought up into um, which is hard to get out of and to turn the wheel so you go on the right path and you actually live a joyful and happy life that is uh, the turn uh, in life that not so many people find but it is for everyone to find it And this I found in South India with my guru. And it's taken me 28 years from I started saying I cannot smile anymore. I want to find my smile again. It's taken me 28 years. Was that, I mean, when you stopped football at 30, um, you'd be aware there's a lot of stories written about what you did next. And I don't want to like preempt any of it because of some of it probably was were sensationalist headlines and things like that. But um they were talk of things like going into a spiritual sect or yes. sometimes unfairly probably saying it was a cult and oh. um what what was the next step after you made that decision to leave football? What what were you doing there? What did you what Well did you do? I looked at um brochures of spirit from spiritual people presenting and introducing me to different ways of looking at life. Uh, exercises, doing yoga and meditation, dance meditation, listening to talks from spiritual people, getting to know about the words and chakras, uh, energies. And um, this was what I was looking for. And that was the introduction when you first come to into a new group, a new company, um, do I like this company and do I fit in? And this was the way for me. Mm-hmm. And did you know about these things while you were playing football or not really? Only once you stopped. I saw a UFO in Odense when I was uh, 29 years old, a UFO, a light on, a UFO <laughs> yeah, right. coming on the sky and making a 90 degree turn. Um, that is something special when you see this, but 
I was interested in football, playing football. I love playing football. Um, and that becomes my world. And it's like I was always tired when I played football. And when you get into the national team or you play European Cup, it's a Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, sometimes three games a week. And it is very hard playing a football game. It is so concentrated. It is uh, physically hard, mentally hard, can it be? So you need your rest afterwards to recover and get ready for the next. There was no time for uh, other stuff. And there was no need for it because I loved it. Loved the football. I mean, because you've probably had as much life now after football, uh, 30 years after football and 30 years, well, you know, being a kid playing football and growing up and being professional. That Yes, um, that was actually my dream, uh, dream, becomes my dream job. If you knew what you know now and have discovered what you know now back then, uh, um, I mean, you were a good footballer. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. You played for your national side. When you come on, you used to replace Michael Laudrup, who was no slouch. Uh, um do you, do you ever think about um, what you know now, how good you could have been even well, better? Well, you, it's, it's time you have, you are what you are at that time. And looking back, you cannot change the past. You cannot change who you were. You, you are you. And you can do things for yourself in that period, time, we are, I am now, to um, look brighter at life. And what I do today is I do yoga, I do exercise, I do stretching, I keep my body in form, I keep my mind in form. By feeding myself right, doing the right things for me, uh, going the right places, taking my time, uh, have order and discipline in and learn from my experiences. Um, that is what I do today. And I know now, um, get, getting out from my last depression period uh, 16 months ago on the 1st of January 2022, it's f- uh, 16 months ago, I watched myself say, uh, self daily uh, on a physical basis and mental basis and I see am I going the right way am I smiling as much today or more than I was yesterday um, making sure that I am happy today and this has been an ongoing process for uh, 16 months and I smile more every day now because I do the right things for myself and this is not an egoistic thought beginning taking care of oneself then I gather my own energy and I have more to give to others and I am more able to select uh, good things and keep away bad things uh, thoughts or talk from others and not give that so much energy as I would have done in those days back because yeah, I, mean, I think mental health is a key thing in life, isn't yes, it? Not, it is. Not just in in, in football. Ah. But, um, so, were you? Did you? Did you ever get diagnosed with um, anything then? Oh or, yes, a lot, a lot. <laughs> Insanity, really? <laughs> oh yes. Uh, bipolar is that what it's called? Yeah. Bipolar something, and you have all kind of marks or whatever you call it of this disease from doctor's science, which is popular putting a tag on this person's disease or sickness. So I also have those tags. Um, The basic thing, the main disease of people in the Western also bit mainly in the in the west is busyness being in a hurry having a schedule that is overloaded and you're running after things and you will never have time to stay in an area and find a death um, in that era in that conversation but we 
run after that, we run after that. And we get stressed and fear comes into our minds and we have no time enough to live life. And that is a bad circle to get into. You have to reverse the circle, uh, confusion circle, to get out. And your question? Um, I guess ultimately I think it sounds like you found um, a form of spirituality that helped with that. Yes. You may have got the medical diagnosis oh, at the th time. That was a diagnosis, yeah. yes. I had many and other people skipped many. Um <laughs> I don't care so much about what others, even though they have a doctor's title, say about me. I can read those and I can look through those people. I can see how much they know, how much advice they can give me. And I'm now in a position that I can give the doctor advice of what to do. And what you say to me is wrong or what you say to me this that is right. And then when I meet this doctor, there will be my energy and his energy that will become a win-win situation for both people. But I need to have my voice, my own mind, speak against the doctor if he's wrong, uh, listen to him when he's right. That is my own mind that is the boss in any conversation now. Any person should have this. So do you find... Uh, a life, uh, 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 finding a better lifestyle and a spirituality and all these things were the thing that worked for you as opposed to say, well, I don't know if you're on medication or anything. Was that the thing that finds us with you today now? Yes, I think so. I found myself and that is, that is some kind of goal. But when you reach that goal, the, the day becomes brand new every day. And you can make new goals. And life continues until death. There's only one guarantee in life. That is that you die, you physically die. That's the only guarantee you get in life. So I keep my options open. I try to relax as much as I can, learn as much as I can. And then every day will become new and open and exciting to live so you're still you're still scoring still scoring goals just in a different way yes i'm <laughs> scoring scoring yes and um the shawshank redemption movie uh which you know this one like the one who gets uh, in prison for killing his uh, wife or girlfriend innocently he stays 17 years in prison being raped uh, harassed, uh, uh, humiliated. But from day one, he planned his escape. And when he escapes after 17 years, it's one day in freedom. That day in freedom makes up for 17 years in prison because now he has life uh, to look forward to. And there's no reason to be sad about what happened or how he was treated. Because now he reached his goal. That was out in the free, out of his prison. His, And this is a picture of the mental uh, human prison. Yeah. I mean, to, to bring it back to football slightly, did, uh, uh, did, you, did you fall out of love of football when you left? And, well, and are when you now you back get, in love? When you get sad and goals don't come and you feel the pressure you uh, don't like uh, football as much because I'm not functioning as a human being or a football player and it is different also when you are on a high you love it and when it goes down you, you still love the game always actually um, because it's out playing with the kids um, with the guys uh, coming on to the training pits and the games it is a, a game and, and I love it I was going to say yeah, what's your relationship with football now that you've you've had these life experiences yes and looking back at my experiences as football players there's a lot of learning for me to watch those pictures and talk about those days um, so you're, you're in Luton. There are a couple of days away. You're going to go to your first Luton game since you left. Yes. You're going to see uh, 
Luton play Middlesbrough in what could be potentially uh, a dress rehearsal for for the playoffs. Yes. You're going to go back to a stadium which really hasn't changed much since you left. Yes, uh, so it's, it's be quite, quite, uh, quite a familiar same, yeah. place. Uh-huh. Um, how much are you looking forward to that? I'm looking very much forward to it, sitting in the stands with my new eyes and feeling the atmosphere, the special atmosphere of Kenilworth Road, um, the intensity uh watching all the theater and the football game and i'm uh, supporting uh, luton <laughs> and w- will there be a tiny part of you that wishes you were out there playing for luton not no not one thing um, time but that was my time back then and it's a new days and new time now we we should say to everyone listening that we met up with your former teammate Mick Harford for a quick coffee before yes. we turned the mics on. Uh-huh. Um, what he obviously he's he's Mr. Luton now and he's been with us through these intervening thirty two years in some really remarkable moments for the club and and I think every Hat fan loves him dearly. And what what are your memories of the man? Well, I played two or three months with uh, Mick. And uh, when I saw him, I could see that there was some special kind of aura around him. He was big. He was strong. Uh, he was uh, laughing and smiling. And I could sense he was a good-hearted person. And I looked up to him. Um, and also with other players, but Mick was special. Um so there is some kind of connection with other people when you should see good things in people. And if I'm scared of other players, I was the opposite of Mick. I was happy that he was in the dressing room. Yeah, I mean, he 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 played, and you played, obviously, in an era of um, the supposed hard man, and he's often billed as the hardest man. But you played against many defenders that uh, probably would strike the, the fear into the hearts of players today oh. but uh, so um, like um uh, Stuart Pearce uh, Psycho at Nottingham Forest Vinnie Jones. Jones who who are your hardest opponents it's got to be Vinnie Jones <laughs> uh, Vinnie Jones um Psycho <laughs> Stuart Pearce also I, I, I was afraid to uh, Dribble past him because you you know he was a hard hard guy. Then I've seen pictures and uh, on YouTube videos uh, from my time. I think Graham Souness. Uh, I wouldn't like to be on the opposite team. I would like him to be in my team. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, that must be some of the worst opponents to, to meet and face. Alaz, it's great to catch up with you. As I said halfway through this podcast, you're a hero of mine 30 plus years ago. You're still a hero to all Luton fans. We really, 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 really thank you for the two years, the special part that you played at our club in those two years. We thank really you. hope you enjoy being back at the stadium oh, on I, Monday. I enjoy will. that game and uh, just thank you for everything that you did for our great club. And thank you for giving us some of your time this afternoon. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.